Father God, this is the first Saturday of the year, the first Sabbath that we're able to come here together and worship, and what a better way than to meet in your house of prayer. Father God, as we're about to get into the scriptures today, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask for wisdom, clarity, and understanding. We pray to you before we open the scriptures because we need understanding. We pray to you and we ask that as I speak here, it be you and not I. And we also ask that you send your spirit to the members of the church, to everyone present here, so that as we look into today's message about the tears that you speak to our hearts and our minds. May you bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. I'm praying that your holiday breaks weren't too, too crazy or too eventful. I know my kids are not that thrilled to go back to school on Monday. Um, they got a little bit of a break. Some, some kids actually went back to school this week. And so uh, they, they actually get to go back in on Monday. So um, I know they're not thrilled about it. I, on the other hand, got a chance to relax a little bit over the last couple of weeks. We, we did go see some family in Orlando and, and all of that. But for the most part, we, we started just, just hung back. Um, today we're going to talk about tears. And as you know, since, since the last couple of months, we've been, we've been talking about how Jesus spoke in parables, what it meant. And uh, today is no different. We're going to look at a parable that you may be familiar with, a parable that may be uh, in, in your children's Sabbath school class, in a children's study setting. So perhaps you've heard of it before, or maybe you have not. Either way, we're going to revisit this today. I will tell you that even though this is a um, famous parable, I haven't heard a sermon on this parable in many, many years. It seems like we make reference to it, but we haven't really spoken about it. And so um, it's not a very deep theological message, but it is a plain, penetrative message. It's very pointed, very direct. And so I want us to take a look at this uh, today as we visit the parable of the tears. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, and we'll begin on verse 24, beginning on verse 24, um, we'll begin on Matthew 13, verse 24, and, um, and you have it also up on the screen as well in the New King James Version, um, and, and so here's the parable, and we'll read it together. It says, another parable he put forth to them saying, and, and the one that spoke this was Jesus, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, remember when we looked in the past, we had looked at the sower and in different parables, God or Jesus was the sower. But now we have a second sower being introduced here. It says that while the good sower slept... His enemy came and also sowed tares among the wheat, right? Verse 26, but when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appear. Now, this verse is very important because you read this parable. It's only a handful of verses, six verses, seven verses, something like that. Um, and, and, And when you read this, you may not realize how much time has lapsed. 
The sower comes, he sows good seed. At nighttime, his enemy comes, puts tares in there. And then later, when it has sprouted and produced crops, then the tares also appear. So that means that a period went between the sowing and the sprouting and the growing and then the production of crops that you were able to see the tares very clearly. This is very key as we go further into this particular parable. Verse 27. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Verse 28. He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Verse 29. But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30. Let both grow together unto the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So here you have the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I don't know, has anybody here heard this before? Raise your hand if you have. You heard the parable? Yes? Okay, I just want to make sure, because, you know, I know sometimes we make reference to things, and, and I struggle when pastors get up here and they, and they preach and they say, well, you all know the story. What if I have never heard it before? Maybe I don't know the story. And so I just want to make sure. So you've heard it before, and I don't know what the interpretation you've had of this, but here's one thing that I want to make clear. You may remember this from a couple of years ago when we did the Daniel Revelation series. We should never guess. We should never speculate, but it ought to always be line upon line, precept upon precept, here little and there little. And if you don't understand something, you read a few verses before, a few verses after to get the context. If you still don't understand it, maybe read the whole chapter. If you still don't get it, read the whole book. If you still don't get it, then read the whole Bible and see how it lines up with the context of all of the scriptures. But the idea is that the Bible interprets itself. So let's look at verse 38, just a couple of verses later, so we can see the interpretation of this. That way, we're not guessing and we're not speculating. Verse 38, it says, the field is the world. What is the field? So when we read that parable, we know that the field is what? Now, how do we know? Did we guess? Did we speculate? Or did the Bible interpret itself? It interpreted itself, right? The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Any ambiguity between the good seed and the tares? No? Very well. 39. The enemy who sold them is the who? The devil. Very clear. The harvest is the end of the age. When is the harvest? The end of the age. Are we in the harvest time right now? We're close. But but is it the end time already? We're near the end time, but are we there yet? Okay? And the reapers are the who? Are the angels. Do you see how the Bible interprets itself? There's no guessing here unto what it means. But let's continue in verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. 
Verse 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him what? Let him hear. Whenever you see in the scriptures something about he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see this in Revelation. You see this in in many of the parables. This is prophetic language. It's time to pay attention. So here you have the parable. We read the first couple of verses, 24 to 30. Now 38 to 43, we read the interpretation of it. And, And so what is it that this all mean? Well, plain and simple is this. The feel is what? The world, the world that we're in, the church that we're in right now too, everywhere you're going to see wheat and you're going to see tares growing together. Now notice something about these tares is that it was hard to tell what they were until they brought forth fruit, until a crop was yielded. Then they say, whoa, hold on, didn't you just plant good seed? How can we see tares on there? An enemy has done this. Christ's object lessons, page 70, it says, The enemy that sold them is the devil. Neither God nor his angels ever sold seed that would produce a tear. The tares are always sown by Satan, the enemy of God and man. Now, this is very important here because I don't know if you know this or not. Um, I, I didn't learn this until some years ago when I first came across this. And is that in the East, men used to do this very thing that Jesus spoke in a parable. When Jesus speaks in parables, whenever you see those red letters in your Bible, you have to pay attention because it is important. Now, he's using an illustration that people of the time can really understand and appreciate. So let's pretend that, you know, Bertha is my neighbor, for example. And let's pretend that we're not getting along. Maybe she keeps moving my trash can or going through my mail or throwing her junk in my, in my yard or something like that. And out of revenge, men in the East, what they used to do, they would wait for their enemy to plant something. And I'm going to get back at you now. And in the middle of the night, I will sneak in there and plant something similar. That it will grow together and sprout together. And it was many a time hard to tell which one was which. They all looked very similar. And it wasn't until a crop was yield that you're saying, oh, man. But up until this point, they had grown together. And you couldn't tell them apart. It's kind of like that snake where one of them is like a milk snake and the other one is like a poisonous snake. And it's something about yellow and red or black or blue or purple. I don't know. Uh, Pathfinders, please forgive me. I don't remember the color scheme. Uh, I, you know, yeah. But anyhow, but but the point is, is that you know how you, one is bad and one is good and it's kind of hard to tell them apart. These crops were very similar. And this was a common revenge tactic that they used to take place in the east. So when Jesus shared this parable, they knew all too well about the enemy coming in the middle of the night and doing this. Why? Because suddenly the tares are there growing together and they're literally sucking the life of the good crop. And they're there together. So that's why this is pointed out. Christ's object lesson, page 71, it says the following. So it is from enmity to Christ that Satan scatters his evil seed among the good grain of the kingdom. By bringing into the church those who bear Christ's name while they deny his character. The wicked one causes that God shall be dishonored 
The work of salvation misrepresented and souls in peril. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear. We're not reading that just yet. Um, but the Bible is very clear that the tares are going to be together with the wheat. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is something that is very difficult for us to understand. I have shared with you before that God, through Jesus, Jesus is the judge. The judgment has been committed to him. He is the advocate and he is the true witness. And the devil is the accuser. We dare not mistake our role as his children. As eager people, we try to go right ahead and reap and yank out those tares. But we are told, "Uh uh-uh, let them grow together. Lest you yank one out and you pull the wheat with it. You try to yank the tares and you uproot the wheat. We dare not do that. Also understand that who are we to determine who is a tear and who is a wheat? If you would have met me in the 80s and 90s, you would have said, oh, for sure. Remember, my nickname was Hijo del Diablo. That child of the devil, yeah, he's definitely a tear. I'm not saying I am one or not now, but what I'm saying is it's harder to tell now which one I am. Back in the day, it was clear I was rooting for the other team. I used to misbehave and do all kinds of things. And, and so we as humans, the way that we judge, you would have said, yeah, Joey, for sure, he's a tear. But here's the thing. Rahab was a prostitute. Mary Magdalene, you know, she had her things. The lady at the well as well. Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote about half of our New Testament, was killing all kinds of Christians. And so looking at them from our eyes, from our perspective, at that point in time, we're saying definitely Paul was a tear, and so was Mary, and so was Rahab, so was this one, and so was the other one. God does not look at who we are now, but who you are when you accept the call of God. And so that's why I wanted to put this on the screen now. Christ Object Lessons, page 71, 3. And, and you'll read along with me on the screen, and I have it there. Not necessarily aloud, just follow along. It's a long quote, but this is very crucial because when we misunderstand this, we get ourselves in trouble. Christ has plainly taught that those who persist in open sin. Now, I want to make this very clear because there's a difference between sin and iniquity in the Bible. There's a difference between sinning one time, messing up and repenting, and practicing lawlessness, as the scripture says. But look what it says. Taught that one who persists in open sin must be separated from the church. But he has not committed to us the work of judging character and motive. He knows our nature too well to entrust this work to us. Should we try to uproot from the church those whom we suppose to be false Christians? We should be sure to make mistakes. Often, we regard as hopeless subjects the very ones whom Christ is drawing to himself. Were we to deal with these souls according to our imperfect judgment, it would perhaps extinguish their last hope. Many who think themselves Christians will at last be found wanting. Many will be in heaven who their neighbors suppose would never enter there. Men judges from appearance, but God judges the heart. The tares and the wheat are to grow together until the harvest, and the harvest is the end of the professionary time. And so this is something 
that is very crucial for us to understand. I struggle with this. I grew up in a background in Puerto Rico where God will punish you. And no matter what you did, it was off with your heads kind of thing. And we needed to walk a certain way. And I'm telling you, I, I could imagine people at the door with a checklist making sure that you meet what the, the box cutout of a Christian looked like. Because if you do not meet that, then we definitely would try to yank you out and, and give you the boot and off with your head. But that is not what the scripture teaches The scripture teaches that the tares will always be among us until the time of the what? Until the time of the harvest. Now, this is crucial to understand because we are taught that at the end of the time, the Lord himself will send his angels to do the reaping. Now, here is the thing that is difficult for us to understand. Our way of measuring I don't know if any of you members, sometimes I question, yeah, this is probably a tear. But I don't know whether you're a Saul who hasn't had a chance to become Paul yet. And I have no idea, you know, exactly who you are. But I'll tell you something else that we learn about this. This parable is an example of what God did in heaven. The minute that the devil sinned, Lucifer, that he rebelled and accused God of all of these things. Jesus and God didn't just give him the boot and pull him right out. If they would have done that, it would have created doubt among the rest of the angels. But instead, he let the devil continue to go on and really reveal who he is. And what did he reveal? That everything that the devil says about God was really true about himself. He is not fair. He is not just. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't worry about you. And all these accusations, we kind of do the same thing sometimes. When we see bad things happen in this world, we attribute those things to God. God, why did you let this happen? Why did God ever let this do? No, no, this is all because of the devil and the sin that he brought into this world. Plain and simple. And so when the fruits of the devil are revealed, when the crop is yielded, now the world knows, the angels know that Jesus was really righteous and just. And everything the devil said about him was not true. And when Christ laid his his life on the cross for you and me, his character was also revealed. The crop of the devil and the crop of Jesus has been demonstrated right now as a spectacle before everyone. And it has been seen. And so here's the thing. Many a time, many a time, we try to get ahead of God in grace or the lack thereof. Here's a question from Christ's Object Lesson, page 72. It says, And shall we not be as forbearing towards our fellow men as the Lord of heaven and earth is towards Satan? And I struggle with that. Because we give everybody a break, but then it seems like we don't do that with others. It seems like if you are a neighbor who don't know anything about God or church, we have all the grace and patience in the world. But may God forbid that you become a member of the church and you slip every once. Ooh, may God have mercy on your soul. Because we're going to jump at you and judge you and beat you up. But that is not our job. 
This is directly from the scriptures. Tares will grow among the wheat. This happened with the early church. Ananias and Sapphira, they joined themselves to the disciples. Simon Magus were baptized. Demons who forsook Paul had been counted a believer. And Judas Iscariot, he was one of the disciples. He was one of the very disciples. Look at Christ's Object Lessons, page 72. It says, the Redeemer does not want you to lose, does not, sorry, the Redeemer does not want to lose one soul. His experience with Judas is recorded to show his long patience with perverse human nature. And he bids us to bear with it as he has borne. He has said that false brethren will be found in the church till the close of time. Plain and simple, we are going to see that in the church, no matter what. And so here's the thing. Number one, number one. This is good for us to know. In a way, it's sort of a relief because you want not to become frustrated or discouraged when you see some of the heresy that can happen in the church. They're meant to grow with us. And it stinks, and, and I get it, and I know that our nature is to uproot and a pluck, but it is there. Now, does that mean that we cannot continue to pray and provide spiritual guidance and lead and pray for growth and change and transformation? Absolutely. Does that mean that we're just going to let the church just be a chaotic place? No, it does not mean that. But it also means that you are not to use people in the church as an excuse to not come to the house of God. Because you were told they were going to be here. I don't want to go to the church. Too many hypocrites. Well, duh. It's like saying I don't want to go to a hospital. Too many sick people. Well, duh. They're going to be here. They're meant to be here. And it is not necessarily our job to reap them. Also understand that we may not be able to tell. If I would have seen Saul in the time of Saul before he came Paul, then, you know, it would have been different. We would have not been blessed with the rest of the New Testament that he wrote in those scriptures with the wonderful things that he put on there. And as many people as he ministered to, because he later accepted the call of Christ Jesus. And he became a servant for the Lord. So do not be discouraged and do not be troubled. But we also need to understand this. And I want to share this with you because I struggle with this with the political side. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or, or a Democrat. It does not matter. Here is my struggle with the political movements. And we're going to face this issue at the end times. Christ... And God have given us free will. You cannot force yourself and your beliefs on people. The minute you do that is action of the devil and not the action of God. And I can share that with you spiritually, uh, scripturally, and from the spirit of prophecy. What I mean by this. Imagine I were to just put a gun to all of your heads and say, come worship here every Sabbath and sing. Come on, everybody sing. Even dance for me. Come on, do it. Are you really worshiping God if I'm forcing you to do this? God has given you free choice. Mark of the beast, seal of God. You've heard me say this before, and we just started this morning. If you're not here for Sabbath school, for Bible study, I would encourage you to come and join us for that. This is going to be a wonderful next 13 weeks as we're studying the book of Revelation. Today's lesson, or this week's lesson, rather, was phenomenal. But here's the thing about the mark of the beast and, 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 and the seal of God. Mark of the beast is on the forehead or on the hand. Seal of God is on the forehead. And here's the thing, because you're choosing God, you choose God, and no one can take that from you. 
When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, people used to think that the mark of the beast was going to be some kind of computer chip that they were going to put on you. Some technology stores, uh, uh, companies have actually implanted chips on some of their workers so that they could enter and exit, etc. And people are saying, oh, if you work for this company, you're already being marked by the beast. It's not going to be a physical thing. It's not going to be a tattoo. If it were so... And a couple of strong guys and I were working for the devil. We'll pin you down and we'll implant it or tattoo it. And now you're marked. And you can't enter the kingdom. It's not something physical. It is a matter of choice. The question in Revelation is, whom do you worship? Do you, are you willing to follow the lamb wherever it leads? Or not? Plain and simple. And so understand. Understand that there will be tears. Unto the time of the harvest, once they have produced a crop by their fruit, you will know them. This is why I tell you very clearly, and I say this over and over, don't believe what I'm telling you, but study the word of God yourself. Second Corinthians tells us that even demons will pose as pastors, that the devil will pose as an angel of light, demons will pose as apostles and stuff. You need to be grounded in yourself and study the word of God. Because I'll tell you something else too. The person that enters the church not looking like your typical Christian, I don't think you should be too scared about them, too worry about them because they're being real. If you notice the intent of the enemy is not to show you some guy who may not look the part, who's dressed a certain way, hair a certain way, tattoos or whatever. It doesn't matter. Who, who looks like, man, I look more like a guy in a bar than a guy at the church or a guy at a club that I got at church. Don't worry about them too, too much. Worry about the ones who think or pretend to be holy because the tares will continue to grow and look very similar to the wheat until the fruit has been yielded. The devil's job is to trick you and to get you and to mislead you, not from the very beginning to show you, ha ha, you know, he's going to do that for you and he's going to do that to you. So you need to be grounded and study the word of God for yourself so that as you're seeing the trend, as you're seeing the crop yielding, you're saying, wow, oh, oh, yeah, this is definitely this and that's definitely that. And you're able to discern through the power of the Holy Spirit. We know this, we have said this, and our instinct is still is to attack those whose beliefs don't line up with ours. Look at this quote, I have it on the screen, last quote on the screen from um, Christ Object Lessons, page 74, 74.1, and it says the following, Notwithstanding Christ's warning, men have sought to uproot tares, to punish those who were supposed to be evildoers, the church has had recourse to the civil power. Those who differ from the established doctrines have been imprisoned, put to torture, and to death at the instigation of men who claim to be acting under the sanction of Christ. But it is the spirit of Satan, not the spirit of Christ, that inspires such acts. This is Satan's own method of bringing the world under his dominion. God has been misrepresented through the church by this way of dealing with those supposed to be heretics. And so, here's the thing. I'm not saying that we need to take a mindset of welcome everyone and sin and do whatever you want and live la vida loca. What I'm saying is that just like the, the, the adulterous woman, we talk to people, we won't condemn them, but we would encourage them to go and sin no more. 
but to just get rid and pluck out. You know how much easier my life would be as a pastor if no one that agreed with me here, you know, whoever didn't agree with me here, I just plucked them out and said, I'm going to keep the ones that like what I like, the ones that don't like what I like, who dress how I dress, who, who sing how I sing. We'll keep those and we'll get rid of all the other ones. Well, except the singing part because then we'll just torture each other. But you, you understand what I mean? I mean, how much easier it would be. But it is not our job to pluck and uproot. It is our job to focus on self. Because you see, this parable is not about condemnation and judgment. It is about humility, self-doubt, and self-checkup. Because here's the thing. If there's anything worse than a tear pretending to be a true child of God, it's a tear who has bought into their own lies. I'm not worried about the person that comes to me, oh, Pastor Job, I've been messing up here, there, this and that. I'm worried about the one that thinks they're perfect and they have attained and they have already achieved. That's the one that really concerns me when you bought into all of that. Because you see, we can achieve maturity and perfection with Christ living in us. But everyday life is a struggle. Every day we're tempted. Every day is a challenge. And from time to time, we may fall. And if we do, the Bible says, I give you this thing so that you may not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. I don't know whether you consider yourself a tear or wheat. I know that all of us want to be wheat. But really examine because the one thing that God looks at is our character. Our character. I want you to understand that not all of the seeds sown in the field were good grain. And the fact that you come to church and attend faithfully and do all these wonderful things doesn't mean that you are a true Christian and a child of God. I mean, you read it in the scriptures, perhaps you have not. If you need the quote later, I'll give you the exact text. But there's a quote where, you know, it was something along the lines of, Lord, didn't we prophesy before you and make miracles and baptize and cook fellowship meal, potluck dinners and all of these things? And God, what do you mean I can't enter? And the Lord says, I never knew you. Where your church membership is at has nothing to do with your name being written in the book. And for right now, for right now, the tares are going to grow among the wheat, plain and simple. And it is not until the time of the end that we will be able to tell one day the difference from one and the other. Look at the screen as we look at the last text for today in the scripture reading as well of Malachi 3.18. It says the following. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between who serves God and one who does not serve him. Christ's object lesson, page 74, says, Christ himself will decide who are worthy to dwell with the family of heaven. He will judge every man according to his words and his works. Profession is as nothing in the scale. It is the character that decides the destiny. And so that's it. That is the message for today in the parable of the wheat and the tares. Unfortunately, there's going to be hypocrites in the church. There's going to be people out to get you. There's going to be people full of sin. There's going to be pastors and elders and leaders pretending to be holy and saints and perfect when in all reality they are seeds sown by the devil himself. This is a time not to look at others, to judge, or to try to get rid of or uproot. 
lest you get rid of Saul before he became Paul. Lest you get rid of Rahab and the lady at the well or Mary Magdalene. Lest you get rid of Joey in the 80s and 90s before he got a chance to, to become a pastor and realize how horrible he lived his childhood and teenage years. Lest we do any of that, and not only that, lest you uproot other wheat along with it, but rather focus on self and figure out where you are with God. I know many of you, like me, probably made New Year's resolutions and decided, you know what, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds. I'm going to fit into those jeans that I haven't worn since the 70s, and now they're back in style all over again. You know, and so maybe you have all kinds of resolutions. Make it your resolve to walk with God and truly search your heart. I have to tell you, when Jesus made that humorous statement about why are you worrying about the speck on your brother's eyes when you got a huge plank in your own eye, that is very true. I speak with people, and you know, when I do marriage counseling, I have run into couples who are phenomenal about talking about everything and everybody except about themselves and what's going on in their relationship. Their entire life, you know, they, they talked about each other, their jobs, their children, but then, uh, uh, you know, uh, about their family members, etc. But they never really talked to each other. Their conversations were about the kids this or the kids that or the job this or the job that, but they never talked about each other. And suddenly the kids are out of the house. Now they've been married 20 years, the kids are in college, and saying, we don't know each other, we're thinking about, we're, we're having a rocky marriage, maybe divorce is in the table, we don't know, can we talk, Pastor Joey? And we sit down and talk, and it's because they were good about talking about everything and anything, but really getting to know each other. And sometimes it's easy to come to church and just go down the road and just say, save, lost, save, lost, mm, definitely lost, save, lost, and do all of that, but what about if we search on self? And instead of comparing ourselves to our brothers, we compare ourselves to God and really see how much we are in need of a Savior and let Him work in us and through us for the benefit of all. That is my prayer for you for this year. Don't use the tares as an excuse. They will always be among us. But Pastor Joey, I get the emails, I get the text messages. Yes, I know. But I don't know if they're soul or I don't know if they're, you know, a real tear. All I know is that we just need to pray. Because no matter what, God should be our first source that we go to every time and moment for everything that we do. And especially in the life that we live. So let us uplift one another in prayer. Let us talk about each other on our knees. And let that be the thing that we do as we continue to grow this year closer to God. And let us pray that the fruit that we yield is the fruit of the good seed. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, sometimes we could get distracted and discouraged. Sometimes we could assume that our role as church members, as Christians, as followers of you, is to be gatekeepers and to police the members and judge and discern whether they're weeds or tears and rip and imprison and burn. But Father God, that is not our job. The Bible is very clear that we must not touch the tares. We can pray for them. We can encourage them. We can guide them. And we can search so that we are found good seed ourselves. Lord, there's going to be a time of the harvest, the end of time, the time of probation, when the reaping will take place and you have entrusted that to the angels after the judgment of you, Christ Jesus. Lord, I have no idea who in this church is a tear or who is a wheat. 
All I know is that it is not your will for anyone to perish. So I want to uplift every single member in this congregation, every friend and loved one that it is visiting. And I want to ask that you be with all of us, beginning with me, that as we commence this new year, that we can draw near to you and that we continue to allow your character to be perfected in us. In this parable, it talked about lawlessness, which is the breaking of the law, the breaking of sin. Sin is breaking of those commandments. Help us keep all of your commandments. It's not just murdering someone, but when I talk about them, when I get angry against them, it's the same thing as killing them in your eyes. It is not just me laying with someone else who's not my wife. Even just the thoughts in my mind is the same as adultery. Lord, there's a lot of work you need to do in all of us. So please help us continue to grow and continue this character growth so that we can resemble you more and more and more as children of light that we can bright, that we can shine bright just like you. Bless us and keep us. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.